0: This is a Founding Media podcast. This podcast episode is brought to you by our friends Traverse Legal. They were super helpful as we started Founding Media in the podcast network. Traverse Legal has been changing the way law is practiced since its own founding in 2004, with a focus on utilizing technology to better deliver IP and business law services to founders, startups, and emerging growth companies. Traverse Legal's latest offering, Traverse GC, provides a monthly fixed-fee, fractional general counsel offering to companies. Learn more by visiting TraverseLegal.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Great Society, a podcast about people who are working to elevate the voices of others. I'm your host, Constance Dykusen. My guest this week is Alan Graham, founder and CEO of Mobile Loaves and Fishes, which started as a ministry of food trucks and grew into a literal village of tiny homes and trailers in East Austin. Alan and I chatted about how he captures the imagination of entrepreneurs and how his faith has shaped his journey. Here's my conversation with Alan. Hi, Alan.
1: Hey. How are you? I'm excited to be here. I'm doing awesome, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming today. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so I'm talking to you at a really exciting time. Mobile Loaves and Fishes last year celebrated 20 years. Um, can you kind of take me back to the beginning and tell me a little bit about how you founded Mobile Oaves and Fishes, what some of your challenges were getting started, some of your successes early on?
1: Well, my uh, journey uh, really began as a, a spiritual journey, and I began to just ask uh, God, uh, w- what is it you want me to do? Uh, and because... You know, in my uh, way of thinking, God's not a very good communicator Mm -hmm. uh, and not giving me the formula of everything that he wants. Uh,
0: You were a real estate developer, right? Real estate
1: developer Mm -hmm. at the time. Doing
0: well for yourself. Uh,
1: It was uh, my career. uh, I was this was, you know, in the mid 90s and uh, we were coming out of the 80s uh, debacle. And and so my star was rising fairly Mm -hmm. rapidly at that uh, uh, point in time. But uh, I, I had not reached the level of uh, poison, <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: and uh, but uh, that was relatively near. So, so it's to speak.
0: not like you were reaching out with this idea of what do I do, God? I have nothing else to do. It was like you were already doing okay for yourself. Like you had you had things, but you wanted to maybe give back more or do more.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, um, again, the spiritual journey where, Mm -hmm. you know, I felt the presence of God uh, deeply embedded into my heart. And, you know, at first it just begins with uh, doing simple things at church, Mm -hmm. volunteering to be something or to cook something or to help someone or something like that. And then uh, one day in 1998, uh, Trisha and I, my wife, were having coffee with a girlfriend of ours, and she was telling us about this ministry in Corpus Christi where on cold winter nights, multiple churches would come together, pool their resources uh, to take out uh, to the men and women that were on the streets of Corpus. And at that moment, the image of a catering truck, or what some of us more affectionately call a roach coach, (laughs) entered my brain as a mechanism Uh, from those of us that have abundance to those that lack. And as a serial entrepreneur, I couldn't get that idea out of my uh, brain, yet I wasn't sharing it with anybody for uh, quite some time, a a week or two. Uh, And finally, I shared it with Trish, and uh, I said, uh, sweetie, I have this idea, and so uh, this is a woman that is married to a serial entrepreneur, and I've taken her on a wonderful roller coaster ride economically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, uh, but she knows that when I get on point, uh, I'm on point. And she just looked at me and said, "Oh my God, here we go again." She was all <laughs> She in.
0: knew she was ready. She was believed in you, but was also ready for the ride. <laughs> that,
1: that's correct. Yeah, it was yeah. both and scared of mm-hmm. the ride.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, so, what came first? You bought one truck? You bought two trucks?
1: Well, I uh, uh, shared it with a buddy of mine uh, after one of our little spiritual meetings and uh, said, why don't we go buy a roach coach mm-hmm. and uh, $1,500, bucks? we will put some TLC into it. And uh, he uh, he goes, I'll put $500 in that deal. And I go, well, I'll put $500. So, he was the first donor. I was the second donor. And then we started sharing it with friends. And... Um, it uh, before we knew it, it had raised about thirty thousand bucks, which was wow. incredible uh, at that time. Um, but we had to find out whether uh, five white guys from Westlake Hills, and for your audience that doesn't know, Westlake Hills is kind of the uh, the Tony zip code fancy of Austin, part of town, fancy now. part of town, and that's where uh, I lived in that fancy part of town, and uh, to think that. These five white guys in the fancy part of town. We're going to go and feed people in the not so fancy part of town. It was almost uh, uh, pretty funny, but uh, nonetheless, uh, we started going out in the back of one of my buddy's green minivans. Mm-hmm. So people uh, could see you
0: coming. That's good.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and that first night, September thirteenth, nineteen ninety-eight, in that. Green minivan was a was a mind blower, Really? and uh, I knew at that point that I was uh, I was hooked.
0: How long before you quit your day job?
1: Well, um, th- that was probably uh, 2003. By the time I was able to fully exit out of of all of that, from a mental point of view, it was probably within about a year when uh, uh, you know I knew that I was being called. And I was having fun mm-hmm. uh, doing this. But there was no income at this. Yet, I'm raising five children in Westlake Hills. So, mm-hmm. uh, but by 2003, I was uh, fully out of my real estate gig.
0: When did you first have the idea for the Community First Village? Do you remember?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, When uh, that would have been about summertime, to fall of 2004, when uh, my buddy, Bruce Agnes, who... Uh, was the guy that I first shared it with and he was going to put the five in and called me up and said, hey, man, I'm looking at a, buying a ranch uh, out near Fredericksburg. You want to go and look at it with me? I said, yeah, dang right. Opportunity to go drink a beer with him. And, uh, <laughs> and we go down there and this ranch uh, had been leased out as a hunting lease and there was a hunting camp on that property. And when we drove up, there's an RV uh, in the hunting camp and I jumped out of the truck and ran over to this R V and opened the door and looked in and I looked at him and I said, You know, I could live in something like this, not mm-hmm. not this particular unit. What would it cost us to buy one of these units, having no experience with RVs? And he goes, Three to five thousand bucks all day long. I go, You are joking. He goes, No. I go, for three to five thousand bucks, we get one guy up off the streets. And he goes, yeah. And I go, we're buying an RV. And uh, by the end of the year, probably December time frame, we bought our first RV. And by March of 2005, uh, we lifted my buddy Sam, who still lives with us in the village, Mm -hmm. uh, off the streets into that RV.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Um, I I got to to meet you when you were— checking out the site, trying to anticipate kind of what was going to be where and everything like that. And it was a really exciting time. When that started to come together for you, Community First, what did you know you needed to put that community together? Um, and for, for those of for those people that don't know, could you maybe describe a little bit about what Community First is today?
1: Well, today it's a 51-acre master planned uh, community. We call it an RV park on steroids. Uh, it's hard to describe. You uh and no matter how good we articulate this, it's still not going to be sufficient until you come out there and see it. But look, we have an outdoor Alamo Drafthouse movie theater, a 500-seat amphitheater. We have a B&B that's one of the most successful bed and breakfasts anywhere, medical clinic, community market, a car care business, an art house, pottery operation, glass blowing, woodworking, uh, uh, blacksmithing, just had an incredible uh, blacksmithing competition recently, uh, full-blown organic farming uh, operation plus much, much uh, more. It's it's quite extensive. Built on the fabric that we believe the single greatest cause to homelessness is a profound catastrophic loss of family. It's not drug addictions or mental health issues or affordable housing and living wages. Those are important. Those are
0: symptoms perhaps.
1: Or... Those are, the, yeah, and they exacerbate homelessness. Mm-hmm. But that's not the root cause of that deal, Mm -hmm. because in all of our families, and everybody that's listening to this, you have a drug addict, an alcoholic, a mentally ill, we have all this in all of our families, and we manage to come up underneath all that dysfunction Mm -hmm. uh, to keep uh, people uh, up off the streets. But there's a very small percentage of our population, in our case, six one-hundredths of one percent of the Austin population, is, uh are, are subject to that, uh, being out on the streets.
0: Um, how long did it take you to learn that lesson, that it was community? Because I think a lot of times we, we do attribute homelessness to alcoholism or to choices or um, just lack of economic resources. Like, when did you learn that it was community? Or did you already know or did you have to, you know, how did you learn that lesson?
1: No, there's... Um uh, you know there's kind of a term that we call spontaneous order that when you get focused on doing something, but you're open to other people bringing their fingerprints into your vision, uh, it, it allows for a level of spontaneity to occur, like who would ever plan an outdoor Alamo Drafthouse movie theater and a bed and breakfast in the middle of a community designed to lift the most despised outcast? And drug addicts and alcoholics, prostitutes up off the streets. It makes no sense on paper, but in reality, it makes all kinds of sense. So along this journey of this spontaneous uh, uh, order, um, as we're learning things, as I'm uh, sleeping on the streets with my friends, and I've spent mm-hmm. about 250 nights on the streets with my friends over uh, 15 years, you uh, e- You know, there's like a common denominator Mm -hmm. that they they come from a broken family. I came from a broken family, but I didn't end up homeless. But they came from a profoundly, catastrophically broken family. And then in uh, 2008, uh, a book was published called Beyond Homelessness, Christian Faith in a Culture of Displacement that began to put the skin over my anecdotal skeleton Mm -hmm. of knowledge that I was spontaneously— Uh, receiving uh, from the streets. And that's when kind of the aha moment of this disconnectedness that we're experiencing, particularly in our American culture.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to use their names if they haven't given you permission to do so, but can you introduce us to some of your neighbors and residents? I know you live on site at Community First, um, and this has been a big part of your life. So can you introduce me to some of your neighbors?
1: Well, uh, uh, yesterday I did a podcast with my friend uh, Robin, uh, who I've known for uh, 12 years. Uh, uh, Trisha and I are the godparents of her uh, daughter, uh, Avery. Uh, Robin uh, has uh, been a drug addict and alcoholic, uh, has had to prostitute in order to support those things, has been raped at knife point, uh, and has suffered an extraordinary amount of abuse, uh, comes from a Catastrophically broken family background. Both her mother and father were alcoholics. They divorced early. Uh, her father recovered but remarried. Uh, the mother uh, never recovered uh, from that. And uh, the 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 story from her podcast yesterday, uh, you know, about forgiveness, reconciliation, healing, and 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 redemption was nothing short of uh, powerful. Uh, And uh, Penny right now, who's another good friend of mine who lost her husband uh, last August, who suffered a massive heart attack and died 10 days later, surrounded uh, uh, by um, eight white women, an Asian woman and a Hispanic woman. And he was a uh, a beautiful, deep, dark, uh, uh, classic uh, African-American, had those features. In fact, he was kicked out of his house by a multiracial stepfather Uh, when he was eight years old. He was given two choices. You either move out or I'm going to shoot you in the head because he was the blackest of his siblings. He he had that very deep, uh, uh, penetrating African uh, look, beautiful human being. Uh, And his wife, uh, Penny, who has been living with us for two years, is now in... uh, in recovery, you know, losing John was a was an emotional struggle. Penny too comes from a profoundly, catastrophically broken family, and oftentimes uh, in that brokenness, uh, God weaves together uh, two dysfunctional people uh, into a mass of dysfunction, mm-hmm. but uh, it turns out to be a, a beautiful weaving. Uh, that's not really understood by by most people. So the loss of John uh, uh, created even more problems uh, for Penny. But she's begun to settle as a result of that loss, and then made the decision uh, on her own uh, to go into recovery. And she's been there before. So uh, it takes, on average, I learned uh, today or yesterday, seven times for people to go into recovery before it finally clicks. Sometimes many more times than that. So we're hopeful for her.
0: You mentioned John's passing. And I think one of the things that really has struck me about the Community First Village is it's not just a place to go and to live um, or to find healing, but it's also a place to die and to die with dignity. Can you talk to me a little bit about how that became so important as part of your model and how you handle death? With some of our homeless brothers and sisters. Yeah.
1: And so um, uh, several years ago, I lifted, uh, we lifted a friend of ours named Larry Taz Williams. He went by Taz, Tasmanian devil. He had that tattoo, of that uh, cartoon character. He was about five foot six, seven, but had guns on him, uh, arms that were uh, ginormous. And you did not want to be on the other end of that in any of his rages. Uh, But he... Uh, his camps were the most pristine camps on the face of the planet, and he was a uh, he was a recycler man. He could find anything anywhere at any time, and I have a number of things because uh, I was uh, the beneficiary of his stuff after he died. And uh, but anyway, I became his medical power of attorney, and uh, Taz uh, was lobbying us very heavily. He and my wife Tricia were extremely close. Uh, was lobbying us, particularly her, to be the first resident moved out of one of the privately owned RV parks that we were in, into the village when it when it opened. But on November twentieth, uh, two thousand thirteen, he passed away two years ahead of when we were going to open the village. I was his medical power of attorney. Mm-hmm. I was with him at his bedside. I made the decisions with his medical staff to uh, cease uh, the intervention. Uh, it was an extraordinarily an emotional uh, uh, moment for me and for all of us that were there with him, because he was such a golden human being that came from a catastrophically broken family. And then we realized that he was going to get buried in the Pauper Cemetery, where the despised and outcasts go to be lost and forgotten. And so we went and claimed his body, uh, had him cremated, I went and uh, purchased a columbarium, a 24-volt columbarium, set it up. And on Easter Sunday morning, 2014, he became the first resident out at Community First Village. And now we have named a memorial garden after him. There are now uh, 14 or 15 people interred in that columbarium. And it's it's opened up this uh, end-of-life ministry Mm -hmm. uh, for us, and people are signing end-of-life documents, medical directives, medical power of attorneys, uh, DNRs for do not resuscitate, uh, body dispositions. Uh, They now want to be cremated, and we we hand make in our wood shop the urns, uh, and then we have etched in granite uh, their names that We're going to inter them and celebrate their lives and remember them for as long as we live. And we uh, euphemistically talk about we'll tell lies about you for as long as we're alive. So
0: So you have these people that you are family with, that you do life with. You go to their camps. You see them on the streets. um, You bring them into community first. They become a part of your family. What have you learned in this time about what people are actually needing and what they're looking for in community? And how do you become that for them?
1: Yeah. And so if you uh, believe what we believe, that the single greatest cause to homelessness overwhelming, almost exclusively, is the the profound, catastrophic loss of family. And then you begin to understand that the original cell of social life is the family. This is the place where you and I are created. And this is that place where you and I should be uh, nurtured and formed over time. Um, And when we are created, we're each created with two uh, innate qualities. One is we each desire to be fully and wholly loved. And then each of us desires to be fully and wholly known, to be valued for who we are as a human being. And um, that is really what people need. And when you... uh, have been abandoned by your family for whatever reasons, uh, and then you find yourself living on the streets, and then kicked to the furthest fringes of, of society, where nobody cares about you. They only uh, call you a piece of shit. Um, then that human desire to be fully and wholly loved is not not being met. Now you're out there begging for subsistence. uh, And there's no way that people are going to look at you and honor what it is uh, that you're doing. And so what we're doing in the village is reversing that. Not only are we going to love you, uh, but we're going to dive deep into who you are as a human being and discover uh, your purpose in life so that you can go and fulfill that purpose. So that now you're fully and wholly known, and then when it's the end of life deal, we are going to partay during that period of time, letting you know how much we love you, how much we care for you, and then we're going to honor you uh, uh, after death. That that that's what people need shelter. Look, we, everybody needs shelter, but that's that's the that's not at the pinnacle of what we what we need. Right.
0: Um, one question that I get a lot, and I'm not even sure why I get it, is what do you do when you come into contact, when you pull up at a stoplight and there's a homeless person there flying a sign? Um, wh- what do you, How do you answer that question when people say, what do I do or I feel so guilty or I don't know how to respond? How do you respond and how do you suggest other people respond?
1: Well, first and foremost, I would acknowledge their existence on the street corner. So that actually means that we kind of got to look into each other's eyes. Mm-hmm. So why not look into uh, their eyes and why not acknowledge them? You can shoot the peace sign. You can roll the window down. You can God bless them or say hello. Uh, just that simple uh, human acknowledgement actually goes a long way. And then I suggest uh, being generous uh, to them. Uh, they're not there. They're not making much money there. Uh, uh, and so I, I give all my friends money. I kind of feel like that my giving relationship is a one-on-one relationship between me and God. And my gift to you is an unconditional gift from me and God to you. Go do what you want uh, to do with that gift.
0: So no expectation.
1: I have no No. expectations. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's no doubt in my mind that uh, uh, periodically, if not often, uh, crack cocaine is going to be purchased, cigarettes are going to be purchased, alcohol are going to be purchased, whatever. But the reality is when you're living in that misery uh, how you self-medicate from that misery uh, uh, that's your business
0: yeah that's really powerful i don't think enough people think that way so thank you Um, another question i have would be so when you talk about just on the individual level giving you've done a really good job of kind of leveraging up um, in the philanthropy community, and getting a ton of resources for the community-first model, and to keep this thing going and now growing. How do you? I've noticed that even entrepreneurs, especially, are really drawn to your model. Every time I'm out at the village, there's there's entrepreneurs that are there that want to kind of solve a problem with you, or that are donating funds, or want to be involved. My boss, John Paul DeJoya, loves what you're doing, and he he always wants to chat with you about what you think is next and what's happening. How have you kind of harnessed that imagination, that like entrepreneurial imagination? In what's typically like a nonprofit space, how do you do that?
1: Well, um, I'm a very relationship-oriented uh, uh, guy. I've just been uh, kind of that networker, promoter, you know, hugger uh, uh, type of mm-hmm. uh, of human beings, and um, and so I think uh, uh, other entrepreneurs like that, if. You take somebody like John Paul, the the cloth that he's cut out of, that uh, compassionate yet uh, promoter cloth, we can do anything type of deal. I think he's attracted to other people uh, that feel like that they can do anything. And he wants to get up underneath people that can do anything. And I think a lot of times entrepreneurs uh, like myself or, or like a John Paul uh, had probably been told uh, many times, especially early on, that uh, now nah, you can't do that deal. You're not going to be good at that, that thing. Uh, you know, you can't make money selling shampoo or, you know, whatever was told uh, to him. Or, you know, you can't build a village uh, or that's not going to work. Or what's going to happen when 250 of those people and then all of a sudden it starts uh, coming together and, Uh, Look, he's attracted to the passion. Uh, People like us are attracted to people that are passionate, and you almost always invest in the passion and not the thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it turns out that the thing worked. Somebody invested in John Paul DeJoria. Over shampoo. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? They didn't invest in the shampoo thing. They invested in the passion of the human being that was promoting that. So I think that becomes kind of an electromagnet uh, for people that are cut out of that, that kind of cloth. And then there's the, um, you, know, you know, we have abdicated our responsibility to care for uh, our human beings, to city hall, state government, Washington, D.C., and and that deal doesn't work very well, and uh, I think uh, th- there's such a valuable place for the marketplace to participate, and so I think that's another thing that resonates with uh, with the entrepreneurial community.
0: Yeah, can you tell me a little bit about the like cost per resident, or like kind of for an MLF intervention with somebody, or to help somebody get off the street? What does that cost as compared to like federal housing or? Local housing programs.
1: Well, if you look at uh, Phase One of the Community First Village, all in 27 acres, 225 homes, all the infrastructure that you see there—the the movie theater, the amphitheater, the B and B, the clinic—everything that's there was about 67, 68 thousand dollars per unit. You know, times 225 units. Uh, a typical HUD housing on a national basis is two hundred and fifty-five thousand dollars per unit with no other amenities Support outside. Support
0: services, of other things like that.
1: Yeah, that's right. Wow. And so we're able to uh scale uh quite a bit faster uh than the government. And the government's just it's burdened with its bureaucracy for a lot of reasons. And I'm not here to knock our government. I mm. love our government. Uh uh, but there's some things that it just shouldn't do. It should be our our collective responsibility as the village, the care for the village. It's that simple.
0: Um, what would you say to somebody that's like, hey, man, that's not that's not for me. Like, I didn't make those choices. That's not my responsibility. How do you kind of draw people in or let them know? that there's a place for them or that you need them or that they have that responsibility to people?
1: Well, I, I try to gently uh, take people through uh, reality. And what I typically do is, is uh, I take people back to when we were 12 years old. Uh, and you were laying in bed at night and you were in that little twilight phase uh, dreaming about your future, uh, looking out the windows at the starry, starry night, uh, dreaming about what you were going to be. And I let people know that never, ever, 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 in the history of mankind anywhere did a little 12-year-old boy or girl lay in that bed dreaming about being homeless, crack addict, prostitute, and a convicted felon. We were dreaming uh, things like I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to play football. I wanted to fly fighter jets.
0: Is that you? You're that speaking was me. for yourself, yeah. Those are <laughs> mine.
1: And, you know, I had a band. I played guitar. I played football. And uh, and to this day, I love airplanes. And my favorite smell on the planet is burning jet fuel, okay, <laughs> on airports. <laughs> okay. It really is. It's kind of, that's my deal. And uh, But I'm never going to be a rock star on stage playing a guitar. Not going to happen. But every time I hear a great classic rock song on the radio, I I see myself on stage with that guitar in hand. Same thing with the football game. And same thing when I see, you know, a a jet screaming across the sky, a fighter jet. Uncle Sam's never going to put me in that $100 million airplane. Never going to (laughs) happen. But that is the ember. Those dreams like that are the embers that ignite who we are and who we've become today. And, um, and so I try to get people to realize that that person standing on that street corner never, ever chose to be there. And what you see as choice is really, in reality, resignation. Mm-hmm. Now, some people will tell you, I choose to be out here. You know, but that, that's impossible. Nobody would choose that deal. And so as as humans, as proud uh, human beings, we're going to disguise the resignation uh, as a choice.
0: How do you connect people back to their original dream as a 12-year-old who, who have experienced homelessness? Like, how do you get them in touch with that? Because there's so many layers, like you said, of protective mechanisms, of just kind of not believing it, not not believing that people will help you. How do you connect people back to their kind of original – there's so many opportunities to discover those things – at the village, so I want talk to me a little bit about those.
1: Well, I mean, it's a p- pretty simple. What is it that you dream about being? What is it that you're good at? Because by the time we find people, uh, they've even though they've had a lifetime of disappointment, they've also uh, know within who they are, what what they're good at. Uh, some people are uh, great laborers. Uh, and they can labor some people are carpenters and they can do that some people know how to work on cars and then uh, you find many of our friends that battle pretty serious behavioral health issues seem to be off the charts on the creative spectrum and and so we try to go in and dive in to discover uh, what those myriads of, of, of desires are and begin to plug people into uh, what what we have and so that they can be, Uh, self-fulfilled and self-actualized.
0: What advice would you give um, to people who or maybe like yourself, who are an entrepreneur doing something but maybe want to give back or have that original vision? Like you just, you started with one truck. When people kind of have that one spark of an idea, how do you suggest they go about making it into a fire?
1: Well, in uh, one of my favorite books of all-time history called Thank You Grow Rich, published in 1937 uh, by a guy named Napoleon Hill that, that had 13 principles of uh, why people of seemingly equal intelligence, some go on to be very successful, some don't. Uh, there was one chapter in there called The Subconscious Mind. And uh, it's like the food truck uh, was somewhere back in my subconscious mind. I have no idea where that came from, how it came. I, I think it's a godly thing. Uh, suddenly, because of that coffee that we were having, it entered into my conscious mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we should pay attention to those thoughts and start doing those thoughts. Now, when I started that journey, there was no desire to get out of the real estate business. That just happened along the way. And so um, uh, I I would just say to people that when that idea comes up, just say yes, and then go do it.
0: And I think it sounded like you, part of introducing it to other people and inviting other people into it was also key for you.
1: Well, extraordinarily key, and I think... uh, People were to really ask me, you know, what's one of my greatest giftings? It's, uh, I think, uh, I was the nucleus of an extraordinary vision in that deal. But you have to open the doors to uh, anybody that wants to come into that vision because we have a laser focused vision uh, to participate uh, and help us drive that uh, uh, drive that across the finish line. So that that's a key. That's where that spontaneous order thing comes up.
0: Um, speaking kind of of the finish line, you've already accomplished so much at Community First Village, but can you tell me kind of what's next or what you're dreaming of next? You're always dreaming about something, I know. So,
1: Well, um, it's, it's a continuation of moving the movement. Uh, we have phase two that's under uh, construction uh, right now, and that's uh, a very active time for us. Uh, we're also being hit up from all over the United States, and so we've developed a replication model to help other communities. Uh, oh, that's great. Yeah. And so uh, we've been doing that replication very aggressively over the past year, but really for the past two and a half years.
0: So yeah. other cities in America, like city planners or nonprofits come to you and ask if they Most, can do what you've done?
1: Mostly nonprofits, but mm-hmm. uh, city planners are starting to uh, you know poke their head into the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know the first community uh, outside of Austin opened up uh, last year in Springfield, Missouri, uh, and it's a very small community, 31 unit, three million dollar deal, uh, but just absolutely gorgeously beautiful and everything that you would want it uh, uh, a community to be. So um, that's you know pretty much what we're what we're focused on. And and look, I, I'm I'm 63. I got a lot of uh, gas in my gas tank. Uh, But, uh, you know, the three fundamental components that we work on at Mobile O's are secession, replication, and sustainability. And and secession is uh, one of those things. So recently elevated someone to the presidency of the operation and um, uh, looking forward to uh, that leadership. She's 39 years old and just a dynamo. And... uh, I look forward to partnering with her over the, however long I have uh, left in my my gig. It will end. None of us are getting out of this alive.
0: <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um. Well, so you've written a book, Welcome Homeless, and then there's a documentary as well coming out about the village specifically. Can you talk to me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, um, about the documentary or the book?
0: Or either, whatever you want.
1: Well, the book was uh, published a couple of years ago, March uh, 2017, Welcome Homeless, One Man's uh, Discovery of the Meaning of Home. Um, And uh, that was a blast uh, to put together. And then uh, a couple of years ago... uh, the filmmaker leighton blaylock with inferno films uh, approached us to do this documentary and uh, the world uh, premiere is uh is at south by southwest uh, this year and we're pretty excited about uh about that
0: yeah it seems like a lot of people are just i just see more and more press and more and more people interested in what you've done because you've really managed to do something amazing and i think a lot of people are interested in how they can Take it home with them and learn from you. So
1: well, we're 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 poised and we're ready for that real national explosion. We've had all kinds of uh, press from all over the uh, country, but we hadn't had the big, big, big hit. But uh, 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 something's coming up with CNN right now that uh, ooh, that's could, exciting. Could okay. be that. So we'll see.
0: That's good. Um, and so this is my last question, and I ask it to everybody. How do you define success for yourself? This can be. Personally, how you think about yourself and evaluate your work, or this can be for mogulows and fishes, how do you define success?
1: Well, uh, for me, I look at it from a from a kingdom perspective. Uh, from, I try to look at it from a God uh, uh, perspective. And um, the way I analogize it is, uh, as a kid, when we were running around playing, you'd come across the fire ant bed and you'd go find the first stick you could find, and you'd jam it into that fire ant bed and swirl it around, and out of that these ants were just spewing. I thought uh, that's
0: what sociopaths did. Alan, is that what you did when you were a child? That's,
1: that's what I did, okay. and maybe okay. uh, there's a sociopathic <laughs> element to okay. who I am there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you couldn't discern one ant from the other. Right. The, the only discernment would be the queen, if you could ever get the queen out of the thing, but you you, you never could. And uh, But every ant had a role, and I think each of us from a God perspective have a role we 're in this ant bed we're all spewing around, and the only thing that he sees it's is what's what's lit up in in our hearts. He doesn't look at the balance sheet from oblos and fishes or uh look at the number of awards that alan graham uh has been awarded what's what's in the heart and um and Look, I've given my all to this deal, and, and, and I'm prayerful that he's proud of that. I also know people that have given their heart uh, to things that, from an American perspective, are far less than what they perceive Mobile Loaves, and Fishes to be, yet the heart is still equally uh, burning. And so I think people need to look in their hearts and, and, uh, and go, did, did I give my all? am I doing my best or was it all about me? Uh, And that's, that's, that's where the success uh, uh, comes from.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you very much, Alan, for being here today. I really appreciate um, all that you've done and your work and what your team has put together. And it's always so exciting when I get to go out there and volunteer, um, clean the chicken coop or dig in the, dig around in the garden. It's always a great time to be out there. So thank you for what you've done.
1: Well, when you think about uh, the fingerprints on on our movement, uh, yours are some of the largest uh, fingerprints on that deal. And, and you need to, you well, need thank to you. know that.
0: I think you should name a street after me personally, but that's fine. That's fine. We'll, we'll we talk about that later.
1: We can't pronounce the, that. Oh, name, so.
0: <laughs> fine. I'll go with my first name. Go with Constance. Constance Street. Constance Way. Yeah. Um, but anyway, thank yeah. you very much, Alan, for being awesome. here. Thanks, I appreciate it. Appreciate, it. appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much to my guest, Alan Graham. You can find his book, Welcome Homeless, wherever you get your books. To learn more about mobile wolves and fishes or to get involved, go to mlf.org. We will put a link in the show notes. The Great Society team includes me, Constance Dykusen, producer Mariah Gossett, and audio engineer Jake Wallace. Thank you to everyone at Founding Media for your support. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Or leave us a review on iTunes to help other folks find the show. Thanks so much for listening.